It's yeah. one of the most difficult things to discuss. I, I wanted to know that they really, something was drawing them to this. That's just kind of the way I roll, and they did. To do what I did for myself to help others to do the same or better, that is recover from things that the doctors say, it's, it's not possible. So that was the catalyst to put you on this path of healing. And at that point, I made the decision. I'm like, I'm done. Uh, then they want to tell you you're crazy. Forget this. This is just not what I thought I was signing up for. You'll, you'll, oh, you'll piss people off like there's no tomorrow. Welcome everyone to the Power of Your Voice podcast and I'm your host Mike Murphy and we are super grateful that you are here with us today and I want to thank you first off for all the people subscribing, all the likes, but what really excites me and makes this all worthwhile is when you get valuable content that resonates with you, especially around the subject of healing and you share it with somebody that it could really benefit that's how we shift consciousness in this world. We need to reach out to one another, especially those that are suffering or less fortunate you. This is how you'll break your own um, pattern of whatever you're going through and raise your frequency and your consciousness so you can manifest what it is that you truly desire. Today's topic, is it true that in inside each and every one of us, is the power to heal ourselves? Great question. And today's guest has been teaching this to his listeners on his radio show for 24 years. So welcome to the show, Robert Scott Bell. Mike Murphy, so good to be with you here, and I love your speaking my language, healing. I just eat and sleep and drink language, this language of, of healing all of the time. And it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting journey because I did not have health for my first 24 years of life, and that uh, really impassioned me with a mission to, to, do, to do what I did for myself to help others to do the same or better. That is, recover from things that the doctors say. It's, it's not possible. So that was the catalyst to put you on this path of healing. Oh, definitely, yeah. I got all my old age diseases out of the way first. What were they? Oh, man, we got a long list. How long's the podcast? As long as you want to go. Okay, well, um, yeah, from the time I was born, I, I had uh, digestive issues, was born with, and uh, led to... Did you go full term? I uh, went full term, yeah, the, at a time where the C-section rate was a little bit lower than it is today. Uh, and yet, um, the, the doctors at that time said I was allergic to breast milk, apparently. I mean, what a weird thing to be allergic to, right? Because I was like projectile vomiting everything up. And they put me on baby formula, which if you ever read the ingredients of baby Terrible, formula, yeah. you'd understand why I'd throw that up. <laughs> That's not so good. And, uh, you know, started with infections, chronic ear infections in childhood, always met with antibiotics, various uh, rashes, skin allergies. I, w I had an adverse event to the smallpox vaccine. We're old enough to remember we got that, and then they stopped right afterwards. And I re-inoculated re myself on the temple of my forehead when I fell asleep, and I had devastating head pains as a child. I couldn't move my eyes because it would be so painful at times. I, I had skeletal inflammation. I was diagnosed with tendonitis as a child, so I couldn't play sports outside until they said, well, you can go in the pool. So I, I became a swimmer. I had... Uh, systemic and chronic allergies to just about everything, food. You know, they tested me at the time. They 
poked holes in my back. My my uncle was a medical doctor, and he his friend that he went to medical school with was in this emerging field of allergy medicine. And so they poked all these holes in my back, and I, I pretty much was allergic to everything. It was like borderline boy in the plastic bubble. And uh, the respiratory issues, the sinus congestion, um, continuing with chronic and recurrent infections, sinus infections, throat infections, ear infections, intestinal infections, stomach. So I was always on medicine. We were a pharmaceutical family. My dad was working in the pharmaceutical industry. My uncle, as I said, was a medical doctor. And, um, you know, this is just some of the stages that I went through. I was hospitalized with chronic, I would say serious constipation as a child. How, how bad does it have to be if a child's brought to the hospital with constipation? That's where I learned about, uh, enemas, which was a scary, scary thing. Although now I appreciate the coffee enemas. Uh, but back then it's like, you didn't know. And, uh, you know, this journey of inflammation, of infection, of, you know, lack of, uh, I would say vitality, energy. I was like always just run down as a kid and I didn't know any different. I was always on a, a non-steroidal or steroidal drug for inflammation. Every time I ate, I had reflux and gas and burping and bloating. And I, I was just, it was a mess. You know, our, our friend Tim James described what he went through and I was having horrific nightmares because it was my the story. Blood and the yeah, all I had, the skin stuff. But it, I happened, I happened to me early on from zero to 24 years of age. And I even had um, 10 years of allergy shots, uh, every over-the-counter prescription medicine they could throw at me, uh, sinus um, congestion drugs, but also surgery to open up the holes, the septum, which only filled with more snot because it didn't address underlying cause. And I was fatigued and I just didn't know what my future held for me, even though I knew my track from the when I was little, I was going to be grow up to be a doctor. But the only model I had was medicine, modern medicine. And when I was at Emory University in Atlanta, my, my first year, that's when I, I, I had that epiphany that if, if I do to other people what these doctors did to me, I would be miserable. Some years earlier, my uncle, the doctor, Uncle Bob, told me that I shouldn't go into medicine. He was a doctor. And I was like, Uncle Bob, what are you telling your nephew not to go? This is what I want to do. It's like, you're going to be miserable. I was like, what are you talking about? This is all... I, I think he saw into my spirit. There was something, that message that always I heard, but I didn't understand until that moment. And I said, oh my gosh, I think I know. He told me that he couldn't practice medicine because government, all these third parties were getting interventions in, in, in medicine. And even if you and what, warned, year, what year was that? That was uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, he warned me. And of course, that was long before the Obamacare thing happened in 2012. Oh, 2010, actually, which was 100 years, as I learned later. Hundred years allopathic medicine. allopathic medicine, yeah. A hundred years after, until they owned it. <laughs> yeah, hundred years. Hundred years after the Flexner Report of 1910, which was what converted all medical schools in America to petrochemical factories, if you will. Doctors came out and all they could do is prescribe petrochemicals for people. Yet we have no deficiency in petrochemicals. Explain petrochemicals to the audience. Well, this this happened. Um, in the, you know, from the dawn of the oil age in the, you know, in the 18th and 19th century, there was an emerging field of organic chemistry, which first uh, originated out of Germany, where they began to utilize these oil molecules and convert them into all kinds of things that were what we call synthetic chemistry into things we never had before, like plastics, uh, toxic poisons of many kinds, pesticides, uh, 
plant fertilizers that were previously used as bomb-making material in World War I and World War II. And then they converted all of these chemicals to throw on the, the, the soil, which destroyed the, the life of the soil, the microbes, the earthworms. And then uh, when they added the NPK fertilizers, which were all derived from you know di- different things, coal tar, etc., the plants grew very rapidly. And they thought, oh, my gosh, it's a miracle. But the plants were sick. They were not balanced plants, and then they were infested with, with pests. And then they took those same petrochemicals but converted them into toxic poisons to kill the pests so they could grow this inferior or sick plant life and then feed it to us. And then we got sicker and sicker over the 20th century, and I was the canary in the coal mine of my generation to be that sick that soon. Now we see if you find a child, generation Y and Z, millennials, post-millennials, that doesn't have one or two or three or more chronic ailments, you know, wow, that's an amazing thing. Whereas it was the rare thing to have much less an occasional cold or flu like my dad's generation. So let me ask you, you're, you're 24 now. You've had chronic illness most of your life. So, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I think the worst thing about chronic illness and being poisoned is losing our energy because with, without energy, life is no longer worthwhile. So there you are, 24, first year med school, chronic illness your whole life, energy's low. What what woke you up? What was there a specific moment, or was yeah. just the general atmosphere? Well, it was at Emory when they were giving me. You're still getting allergy shots, you know, ten years into this now, and I'm not getting better. And I had asked that pointed question of the doctors: Will I ever be well? It was a sincere question. I wasn't trying to, you know, rattle their cages. I was just like, I've been at this my whole life. This is all I know. And they said to me, we don't even want, know why you're sick. So points for honesty. But, dude, that was not, you know, so I'm thinking, I'm going to be a doctor like that? And then they said, because I was leaving. And at that point, I made the decision. I'm like, I'm done. I don't know what to do, but this is just not my path. And it was like one of those scary moments, too, because I thought I had my life planned out. Now it was like, forget this. This is just not what I thought I was signing up for. And they said, wait, 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 there's hope for you. There's good news. I'm like, good news? I've been waiting, what? All my you know, life. All yeah, my life. Well, spin it out. <laughs> and this is what they told me. It was a straight face. Maybe one day you'll grow out of it. Ah, well, what year of medical school was that? I was like, I'm an adult. Okay, I can mature a little bit more emotionally, but dude, I'm, I'm an adult. So growing out of it didn't sound good. And, and I learned later that if I was a woman, they would say, go get pregnant and it might go away. I mean, this is the stuff that they tell Well, and the other thing, though, here's the real issue in today. I mean, you're going way back in time. But now when people go there and they have these uh, diagnoses and they can't fix, okay, because it takes natural medicine to fix it, uh, then they want to tell you you're crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the worst. It's all in your head, right? It's all in your head. Yeah. I mean, how debilitating. So you brought up something very interesting, allopathic medicine. And we are at Mounds of Hope, and which is our healing retreat center in Columbia. Couple, couple impressions first. When you first arrived, and you spent an hour or so in this nature here, and maybe you, I think you arrived tonight, so in the first morning, so we'll give you that. Uh, what was your impression of the nature and, the, and where we're at? And now having been here for five days and experienced some of our stuff, what's your impression now? Well, it was a, a, the proverbial breath of fresh air, but in more than literally, but yes, literally that too, you immediately feel a, a sense of calm and ease come over you. I think, you know, we're, in, if you're in the United States or many of the Western world countries, you're bombarded by 
electromagnetic radiation everywhere. And you've, you know, we're in the mountains here up above uh, Medellin and it's just, it's just different. It's like when you went back, if you remember our childhood, we, we didn't have these towers and you could go, you know, walk in the woods for hours and just feel just amazing. And it's like, wow, I forgot all about that. You come back and you're like, oh, I remember that feeling. And so, you know, the, every day it gets even better. And of course, a lot of the facilities you have here each morning, we've been waking up and doing uh, the yin yoga and uh, then the hot and cold sauna and the, the, the plunge. And, you know, I'm swimming some laps in the pool like I used to do. And just so I'm, I'm alive, you know, even more so. And I've been on this path Gosh, you know, my broadcast radio career is, you know, 25 years, almost there, but 30 years as a homeopath. So I've been at this for a long time. I, I went all organic in 1990, back when it wasn't like cool or common, <laughs> you know, it was harder to do, but it was a, a, a crisis of, oh my gosh, if I don't change what goes into me, I could be dead in my forties of cancer. My relatives had died at 50, 60, 70 of cancer, but, or the treatment for cancer. So I could see the future and it wasn't bright. And that's when, you know, a number of years of praying to God, please help me, please heal me. I, I wasn't sent a lightning bolt of magic that you're healed, but I was sent, let's say, grounding in spiritual principles of how the universe works, how the, how the world really works. And I began to apply that before I really learned about healing. It was just sort of a basic, you got to get crash course in the basics. And then at the age of 24, and you know that, that old adage, when the student is ready, the teacher appears or the master appears. You know, so it's four or five years after that a seminal event that suddenly I met a homeopathic doctor who emigrated from Belgium to the, Ameri the U.S. And I um, met him within a few minutes. He described to me my entire medical history. By doing what? Looking at me. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, he was right. He was telling me a thing. I was like, How, are you a psychic? And I could barely understand his broken English. He laughed. He's like, no, I'm not that, that I'm a homeopath, which was weirder to me because I'd heard of psychics. Yeah. I'd never heard of homeopathy. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I don't know what this is, but he told me my liver's congested. And I remember learning about my liver in high school, biology, and no doctor had ever brought up my liver, not once. You know, so he's like, here, let's detoxify it. Let's get you on organic food, clean up, the th you know, and I started that process. In two weeks, I was breathing out of my nose for the first time without a drug in my life that I remember. And two years of intense work. Wait, can you say that one more time for the audience? Because I want you guys to get this, okay? He cleaned up his diet, and two weeks later, the healing is already taking place. Yeah, it was very much in evidence that simply I stopped the inflow of the burden, the toxic poisons, the, the things that we aren't meant to consume and very overtly in by eating, ingesting it, much less the, the water that I was drinking was fluoridated, chlorinated, all of that. I started cleaning that up. Within two weeks, I had tremendous shift and changes. Now, I'm not saying that was it. It was over. It was process at that point. And, and I had some times where I was like, doc, I'm, I think I'm going to die here. I, I don't know what's happening. Right. And, and I described, I had a fever at one point within that, that two year cycle of, of when I first started. And he laughed. He said, this is great news. You're making progress. You're, you're going to live. And I'm like, Doc, I'm going to die here. I feel horrible. I haven't felt like this because I finally had the energy to overcome all that was within my body. And that comes with symptoms. So if people think that healing is symptom-free, you know, no, that's, a, no. <laughs> that's an allopathic drug approach. We want to get rid of your symptoms. We as homeopaths will bring them up and out 
so that you're not going to permanently suffer or you know die of a degenerative disease. Yeah, well, and let me add that's that's the reason we have a doctor on property so that just to manage the detox so we can lessen those symptoms and really watch them because it's do no harm, right? Let, so let's go back to his allopathic because before allopathic there were medicine men and the indigenous had many many traditions for centuries. Dozens of centuries. God knows how long centuries. And on Tuesday here, we had a little experience of a medicine man and his wife and his helper come here and do what we call fire ceremony. And it's a very spiritual, heart-opening ceremony. And the medicine they use is rapé, which is tobacco that they gently put up our nose. And Number one, what did you think of that ceremony, the honoring of the earth and the, the, what comes out of the earth, the tobacco? And, and, and you're here with your two wonderful children, um, Elijah and Ariana. And I know Ariana took the medicine. I think Elijah did too. Okay. So the only chicken here is dad. But, but <laughs> oh, you did it too? Yo, you did it too. You can't let your kids do it and you not do oh, it. Oh, I didn't know you did. Well, tell me about it. Oh, my gosh. Well... <laughs> The, the ceremony itself is, is spectacular. It's beautiful. And, and I appreciate that. I've traveled in my young life, I'd like to think, uh, many places around the world. And, and, and my journey is always to immerse myself in the culture. I'm not the guy that goes into the Ritz-Carlton. And I could appreciate a Ritz-Carlton. But the experience of going to a place, for me, is interacting with the people, learning about the culture, and somehow connecting to, to, to something that's got thousands of years of history. That, that for me, is the value. And you brought that here to Mountains of Hope with that ceremony. And I know we've got one that I haven't experienced yet, the cacao ceremony. This for me is, is something so important. And people think, well, I'm just here for healing. It's like, no, that's part of the healing. To reconnect to our, I would say our humanity, but I mean that in a spiritual sense. Because it's our connection to this place that we live on while we inhabit this body we're in. But also that deeper connection and appreciation that we often don't have in the Western world. Because we've gotten everything so easy. We didn't really have to work that. I mean, people say, I work 40 hours a week or whatever, but we're not you know, gaining value in that work. What are we doing? We don't even know. We, we're not connected to the outcome in many cases, and what we're producing could be toxic, you know, not only the body but the spirit. And so we come here to have that healing or that transformation, and then we also have these other experiences. Could you say it's critically necessary for everybody's healing? Not necessarily, but my gosh, is it really? It's, it's a significant part of it. And then, of course, we know of... Tobacco throughout our life in the West, we were told tobacco kills, it's cancer-causing. Now, I've learned many years ago that tobacco cigarettes that they manufacture and sell are hardly any of it is tobacco. It's a pure chemical conglomeration that's just so horrible. But tobacco itself was medicine, as you talk about, for the medicine man, uh, Native Americans, Native South and North America. And then the uh, utilization of it now, we feel here from Dr. Brian Artis, who identified uh, snake venom, pathologies associated with the pharmaceutical, again, organic chemistry. The blood pressure medicine I've been taking for 30 years is made with king cobra snake venom from Brazil. Okay. And we know now that that impacts what they call the nicotinic receptors. And nicotine, of course, high content in, in tobacco cigarettes or tobacco, yet we were told that's the addicting quality, it's toxic, it's dangerous. We were lied to about that. Why would we have nicotinic receptors if it's you know a toxic component of nature? Eggplant contains you know, nicotine and other things too as well. So I, this was part of my journey. I was lied to about everything, and I, I went through everything. I was like, my gosh, I've got to live differently now. And I've raised my children, obviously, a lot differently than many kids uh, were raised. And 
this is a the, the journey of discovery. And then the, what do you do when you discover it? Do you either take more medicine, drugs to, to go into cognitive dissonance and survive that way? Or you say, I can't live that way. I can't live in integrity and do that. And you change the course of your life. And many people are finally coming to that conclusion. Some of it was COVID driven, which it, I guess it takes what it takes. Often we aren't willing to move from our comfort zone until something really Until it's uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's gotten that way. So more people than ever are coming on to this way of thinking. And you're doing an amazing work here with what I've just, you know, you were on my show recently and I just love your story. And my wife called, had to, oh man, that Mike, he was great. So uh, I'm just so blessed to, you know, connect here. We were, I was talking with Tim James about how this happened and connecting with friends, how the, these things, first Laban Ditchburn reaches out and says, hey, there's this amazing thing. You should be coming here. I'm like, really? I don't know about it. And then Laban talked, and I talked to my wife and my wife says, that sounds really interesting. Maybe you should go. And then I'm like, I don't know. And, and then Dr. Artis calls me. You got to go. You got to go. He's like, you know how he said, Robert Scott Bell, there's this thing in Columbia, Mount of Hope. You got to be there. Right. That's, 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 I'm like, how do you say no to Dr. Artis? And then my kids, I said, cause my wife wasn't up for it yet. I hope that I pray one day that we can bring her here, but she wasn't up for the trip and we can go into that journey of her health uh, challenges. But my kids said, yeah, well, I want to go dad. I want to go. My, my daughter's 18. My son is 23. And I was really pushing back against them wanting to go. Cause I, I, I wanted to know that they really, something was drawing them to this. That's just kind of the way I roll. And they did, they pushed it. And my wife was obviously the, the fifth person between Laban, doctor, artist, my son, my daughter, and my wife. I couldn't say no anymore. It's like, I'm stubborn. And I say, God, you really need to tell me if this is right. I got the message. And so we're here and it is right. My kids are having a beautiful experience. Yeah, let me ask you about that because a couple incidences with your kids that kind of warmed my heart. Uh, One seeing your 18-year-old daughter in the fire ceremony do the repay because it's an act of courage to a certain degree to trust someone to blow tobacco up your nose. And I really enjoyed seeing that. And then yesterday, after the sound healing, after the breath work, the holotrophic breath work, and then the sound healing, um, I watched your son at the ice bath go out of his way to hug Oliver, who led the ceremony. So I know that Elijah was deeply touched by whatever whatever happened there. So tell me, well, how are your kids feeling about this? What are they experiencing? It is, uh, you know, an experience of transformation. And and I and I know that my son really wanted that. He he needed it. There was something deep inside him that was just being called to. And I'm so again, I, I'm gonna cry now talking about it because you always want the best for your kids. I I've raised my kids in a very unique way. They're all organic, they've never been vaccinated, they've never had antibiotics. So they're a little strange according to their friends, you know, and it's hard enough being a kid in in you know, and uh, it, how do you communicate what you've experienced and grown through? And, and we all have challenges, even if we have the idyllic upbringing, however you describe that. And so to break out of, uh, I won't even say a comfort zone, because sometimes our comfort zone is not as comfortable as we want it to be. And we're yearning for some experience. And my son was yearning for this. And he's come and really had an opportunity to transform. He's met with a doctor, had great, you know, communication. She's terrific here. And, you know, and yeah, she's allopathically trained, but she's completely on board with all of this. Well, she's also a functional medicine doctor. And, and, And it's a real good support system to your point. When people are going through this, they they need the support, just like I needed. I had a, a my homeopathic doctor. I could call, hey, I'm dying. No, you're not. It's okay. Like, oh, okay, right. And so that's an important part of the support here. Exactly. So you know, my son is already having some transformations that are, are helping him, and the time he's gotten gotten to spend and make new friends here as well. 
And, you know, my daughter taking these brave steps to do things I didn't even know she would do. I think she's more courageous than me. She's strong. And, and she did the ice bath. And I, that was the one point where I said, you know what? That's where you, I knew you were a chicken about something. That's what it was. <laughs> I said to her, I was like, come on, dad. She wanted she want me. I was like, you know what? I did, I did three cold plunges this morning. I did three yesterday. I'm okay. I'm done for the day, even though it was a little colder because they actually threw ice into it. And she was nice. She was kind. She's like, okay, Dad, okay. And I said, you represent the Bell family. You did it. I'm good. <laughs> hey, but what a cool father-daughter experience. I mean, you guys will talk about this, you know, 10 Christmas from now. Remember that time? Um, okay. So you figure med school's not for you. You meet this homeopath doctor and then you become a homeopathic doctor. Yeah, I studied with him for 10 years. And, you know, the, the thing I didn't realize about when we look and appreciate the history, like what we brought, you brought here with fire ceremonies, different things, thousands of years of history is like, how did you become a shaman? How did you become a doctor, a medicine man? You didn't go to a school where they watered down and made it for everybody and go into massive debt and then a no, you found a master teacher or healer, and you studied and worked side by side in a master-apprentice relationship for years until they kicked you out. You're like, all right, you've learned. Now no, you're ready out. to go, yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it's a hard thing because you gain an attachment in that situation, but it's, it's part of a journey that we don't experience in the West much anymore. And so they've controlled, this is where I come back to the Flexner Report of 1910, that controlled medical curricula to make sure that doctors would only be educated in petrochemical medicines, patent medicines, and to the elimination of any competition like homeopathy and naturopathy and herbalism and, you know, all kinds of energetic types of healing that were mainstay of medicine in the West and in America throughout its history. Still exists here in South America to some degree. Homeopathy made its inroads even in South America, Central America, and around the world, in Asia and India, etc. And yet, even as it existed at Emory University where I went to school, it was on the medical school curricula up until 1949. And there was no mention of it when I was in school. I had to dig that information out. They were one of the last holdouts to teach homeopathy. So we're coming back. We're having to regain that, our senses and regain our true heritage in natural medicine, even for us in a younger culture called America and the United States. That's, there's been great innovation because we were in a young culture. We could try new things and experiment. But there's also disastrous consequences of sometimes not having a responsible way of going about it, acknowledging the damage that can be done when we don't have a spiritual grounding in technology. Technology in and of itself is not bad, but without the spirit, it can become very destructive. Well, two things there. One, um, the problem with the world today, everything is owned by three major corporations, okay? BlackRock, State Bank, and, and one other. And corporations have no heart and soul. They have one mission shareholder return at any cost and there's no integrity in the world anymore and so therefore there's a major problem you know you're not the local pharmacist or you're not the local whatever it's all big corporations that could care less and that they're making turning us into slaves as a result of that let me give you real since you're an expert on this more than me my brief memory of the history of what happened around 1910 probably started a few years before that rockefellers had all his oil and they want to sell it. Yeah. And so they would go give a donation to, say, Harvard, for example, of a million dollars, which was a large donation. And next year they do it again and say, hey, by the way, can we have a seat on the board? And then eventually they get control of the board. And then they throw out 
this homeopathic medicine, this natural medicine. They start calling that quackery. And then they say, this is the only way you can treat people. And they take over the AMA. They create big pharma. And it's all based on corruption. Oh, yeah, it is. And, and greed. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to, to do well economically. You've, you've succeeded. But do you do it with integrity and honesty? Or do you do it in a monopoly by force, deception, fraud, etc., where people are harmed and you got no accountability like big pharma? Uh, and you're right, it goes back further than even 1910, but it was Rockefeller, Carnegie, uh, the foundation set up this preordained commission report to go into medical schools so that they would then say, we'll only accredit you if you do, and here's the money to back it up. But the AMA was founded in 1847, I believe. In 1844, the American Institute of Homeopathy was founded. So three years later, AMA was founded to target you know, its competition. So there had been a battle for you know, 50, 60 years at that point, and in the 20th century, homeopathy natural it was a mainstay in the early 20th and so over the course of that century by the time i was born no one in my family ever uttered the word homeopathy we didn't know it so i had i had to go and i i was a transplanted southern i was from new york as a little kid and i moved to florida like a lot of new yorkers right and then went to georgia so i became a southerner in my youth for 30 years i was there and that's where i ended up at emory and we went to civil war museums and I never, you know, it was fascinating, that history. But until I became a homeopath, I went back to those Civil War museums and looked at the medical field kits that they had in the 19th century. They were all homeopathic. How did they erase the history of medicine in America so completely? And if you can control that history and erase it, rewrite it, you control the present and the future. And so I had to read uh, Divided Legacy, a series of books by Harris Coulter to learn about the real history of medicine in America. So it was like, I had to unlearn everything I learned in school, grade school, high school, university level, to learn what I know today. I didn't learn this stuff from college, even if I went to a really good one. I had to unlearn that stuff to know what I know to help people today. Now, is there actually a degree in homeopathy? Is, is that what you're... There are various schools around the world, some that are on site, like... Uh, um, well, in Arizona, they have a naturopathic school that also teaches homeopathy. They're not really dedicated to homeopathy. A lot of them are correspondents, British Institute of Homeopathy, uh, American Academy of Homeopathy, which I helped to co-found and write the curricula to be part of that. Uh, so if you go to India, yes, there are more. It's a very much of a main They have homeopathic hospitals, Ayurveda, and all of that. Uh, so it's not the same way. Although many MDs can choose to become homeopaths doing extra things like that. They have their allopathic training and they're also MD homeopaths. So it's like a lot of things like naturopathy, which used to be rooted in nature, has been corrupted to some degree. Like some of the best schools that we had in America, like Bastyr and National College, became accredited like Flexner Report schools, and now naturopaths can graduate from those schools. It's like they went through medical school. They can vaccinate you. They can prescribe antibiotics for you. I'm like, how is that naturopathy? Now, if you want that, that's fine, and it's just sort of like I'm for freedom, but if you want traditional naturopathy, I recommend people go to something like Trinity School of Natural Health, and they can take it a course from a distance, and they're not going to massive debt, and they're actually practically learning things that will help people, body, mind, and spirit, not by treating disease, but by acknowledging the role well, that's of, the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's our whole philosophy, our mounds of hope. I mean, we got to treat the body, 
And the main thing with the body, it's been severely poisoned. People don't realize it. And they're all full of parasites. They're all full of heavy metals. A lot of them have candida, mold, yeast. Okay, so we teach them how to pull that out of them through many protocols. And then we have to put good nutrition in, which you've been doing for over 20 years in your body. And we teach them about sprouts and nuts and, and plant-based foods. And we grow 50 different vegetables here in very pure soil. But then we say, okay... Let's work with this. And step number one, quit living here and move from here to here. And let's start healing it and open it. And then once we do that, now, now we can use this supercomputer, because that's what it really right. is, to manifest Great what tool. we truly desire. But, but we need to start moving here. So that's our philosophy, and it served you well. And so you get well, you get better, you, and you create a beautiful life. And then you jump into broadcasting. How and why? Well, I uh, realized that I had been lied to in America, right? My upbringing. I was like, wow. What lied. year was that? You, you realize that? Um, well, it was the, you know, 19 years of age, but I wasn't right jumping into broadcasting. Right, no, but when did you really realize they're really lying to you? Um, or at that time? Oh, at 19? Over the course of the next five years, that led me to the homeopath, right? That's when I realized everything they told me. Now, I didn't know the answers. I just knew that they didn't know, and I didn't know what to do, and it was scary. Now, so when I started learning homeopathy, it also opened up a world of, oh, my gosh, what else, right? So I went in a concerted effort to, you know, even before that, really. But, yeah, there was a five-year period where I was just consuming everything about history that I didn't learn. And I said, why? One day, I might need to tell people about this. I like to communicate. I, oh, I'm a quiet guy. I'm very observant in, you know, it's in social settings. But if you get me behind a mic like we do, I, like suddenly it's like the light goes on and I don't know what's happening. It's just coming through me. But there was a point that uh, my mentor and I were interviewed on a radio show in Atlanta in 1994. And it was a 50,000-watt station that didn't turn down, a, excuse me, the power at night. So it was going all over the up the Minnesota, everywhere. And we were on scheduled for one hour on this talk show. Four hours later, the switchboards were lit the entire time. We were getting angry, hostile calls, some good calls. Well, you were pissing people off with the truth. Yeah. I was like, we were talking about how dangerous vaccines were in 1994, that HIV doesn't cause AIDS. People were freaking out. They were like, how dare you be on the radio at all? You're killing people. And I thought, well, this was kind of fun. <laughs> I think I might like to do this one day. So five years later, we started a show in Atlanta once a week. Eventually, it got picked up for national syndication. And I ended up, you know, since 1999, I've been in broadcast media. It's been more transitioning online. Radio has become less important. And we now reach the world, even though I'm banned on YouTube and Spotify and, and LinkedIn, of all places, and various times on other social media platforms. But that's only served to gain more of an audience. The more you're banned, the more you, people say, oh, what is it that he's saying that they don't want me to know? So it was this desire to share what I didn't know to those who are ready. And I realized I was speaking well ahead of some of the time frame because a lot of people didn't come on board till COVID. And, and many of these doctors who are now friends of mine just woke up because of COVID. Now, what am I going to do? Yell at them? Where were you? No. Welcome. So glad I'm not alone anymore. Welcome. You're all here now. This is great. Let's, let's have a great party now in health and natural medicine. So this was, again, that journey of, I guess I was born to communicate this. I had a, a knack for taking these complex uh, ideas in natural medicine that people were like, what is that? And communicate them in a very easy to understand way. And people go, oh, that's not so confusing. I can do that, right? Do me a favor. Mm -hmm. Give the audience a simple definition of homeopathy. 
Okay, homeopathic medicine is born in about the late 1790s in Germany. A doctor, a physician by the name of Samuel Hahnemann. Dr. Hahnemann was a regular doctor of his day. He was also translating a lot of medical texts from around the world. He He knew many languages, and he found a pattern emerge in certain things he identified that he later would call the law of similar to like, here's like. That is, taking a substance that would cause symptoms, like let's let's do the classic first homeopathic remedy is known as cinchona or china, the tree from the, uh, the Peruvian bark. Interesting, that's the, the the origin of hydroxychloroquine, the chloroquines, the quinolones. So this is where homeopathy gets its start. He realizes, my gosh, these things, if you ingest them, they cause fever, diseases like malaria, symptoms that are identical. What if I dilute them and in between the stages of dilution, I succuss them? It's like you, you shake, shake it, right? And then he re- you know, tested, ingested it again. And it, lo and behold, it would relieve the suffering. The, the very same symptoms it would cause, it would reverse. Now, diluted. Dil- when diluted. It, yeah. So it, let's say you took a step of a full strength of the tincture, you would dilute it like one to 10, shake it up, repeat. Now, one to 10. Now, that, now you got one part per 100, on and on. At 10x, you're at one part per 10 billion, 10 times of dilution succussion. So you're like, 10, one part per 10 billion, that's not going to hurt you. Right. You're yeah, like, actually going to heal you. Yeah, but people would say, well, there's nothing there. If it can't kill you, it's not real. This is the allopathic Western mindset. I'm like, really? That's your test of good medicine? It can kill you? Yeah, that is for some people. So in, in doing that, he found that it not only worked for that, but he began to test things from the, the mineral kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the animal kingdom. And, and now we result with many hundreds, if not thousands, of homeopathic ingredient or remedies that are in a materia, various materias medica around the world that give us very specific detailed information about what each remedy is indicated for. And you can use them together or on their own for transformational healing from a physical perspective all the way up to spiritual levels. And because it's a non-material type of medicine, it, it was counterintuitive to the Western mind of reductionism. You know, more is better. But Hahnemann was a Westerner in Germany. But he couldn't stomach doing the things doctors did then, like mercury and blood. He's like, we're killing patients. And it's not any different. 200 plus years in the future, we're doing the same thing in allopathic medicine. So he was a visionary, way ahead of his time, but yet it was adopted as a mainstay of medicine around the world. In fact, it traveled all over the world. There's, you know, It's arguably the second leading form of medicine in use around planet Earth right now. It's like, what? And I never heard of it. So you can see all the things that were, I was like, dude, I got to tell this. I got to I got to people need to know, right? You become a zealot a little bit at first. People are annoyed by you, but I've learned to be very patient. It's like, you know, when you're ready, I'm here for you. And and invariably they get ready if they're not dead, you know, okay. I see, look at how you're aging compared to, you know, oh, okay. What are you doing? Well, I told you I went organic in 1990. I never went back. It wasn't a fad. (laughs) So the the quality of food matters And, and, and the consciousness has shifted. A lot of people are doing organic. I mean, in, in the midst of a very toxic lifestyle, as we tell you, we come from America, we come to Mountains of Hope, and we get out of that for a moment, maybe we can go back and go, let's make some real changes, right? Well, that's why we do a two-week signature retreat, and then we follow them for two months. Because, because to make transformation stick or last, you have to change the environment, number one. And then you have to be held accountable for a certain amount of time. Then it becomes in the subconscious. It's ingrained. That's your new behavior. So... You know, I love the work of Dr. Joe to spend this as if you want to change your personal reality. You need to change your personality. And what's your personality? What you eat, drink, think, and do is your personality. And so you come here and we show you how to shift that, change that, and you arrive day one person day, and you leave two weeks later, transform this person Z, 
and you create a whole new world for yourself. Yeah, and that's, again, the rarest of rare opportunities. And I wish and I hope and I pray that this can be duplicated around the world, especially in my home country of America, the United States. And, uh, and I know you've been there and would love to see that. You know, this is why I talk not only about just healing, healing, but political healing too, which is a weird thing. Political healing, yeah. If we apply these principles into the body politic, we can see some transformation there too. Find people of integrity, as rare as they are, they have an impact maybe an oversized impact because there's so few of them once they're there. And uh, we have some folks that, that may be going in to do good things. And in that way, we could bring this freedom to heal holistically, naturally, without a monopoly, you know, constraint. You know, you can do anything you want to heal cancer as long as it's chemo, radiation, or surgery, right? That's, that's communism. So uh, we've got to do better, and uh, I'm all about that. I'm in this for the long haul. As long as the good Lord lets me be here, I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm thrilled again to be invited down to see meet you for the first time and tell your story a little bit, and uh, you know, maybe there's a lot more we can do. Well, the irony of homeopathic medicine and big pharma today is that the genesis, they're both the same. The only difference is because big pharma, all of their medicines comes from nature. They just do it synthetically with oil, and it doesn't work, Okay. Nature doesn't have side effects. Of course, if you take something like that and you dose it too much, you're going to get sicker and have a higher fever. But odds are, it's not going to kill you. And in the medicine and the shaman, they knew this, right? And so, so that's what's crazy about all this. But, but, but you can't patent something from nature and you can't make money, and therein lies the problem. Yeah, because, it, because one works and one does it. The only time that... Honestly, for me, I mean, also, if I had cancer, I'm just going to come live here, do everything we do here, especially the food and the breath work and the everything, and just wait till my cancer goes away. I mean, the environment causes the cancer and the environment heals the cancer. Yes. And that involves the belief systems that people are coming here to transform. So it's a beautiful place without having to even, quote unquote, give medicine necessarily. The medicine is the earth we live on if you come back to this kind of reality you know just the breath work that we've been doing right and here we have i'm not going to say don't have any chemtrails here but i know i've never seen much of it so we know we're breathing better air quality and we're seven thousand feet in the andes mountains which is beautiful so we had an interesting session last night for you people out there every night seven to nine p.m we have a mlh presence and we have brilliant teachers zoom in and teach us and last night we had a dr keith mueller who talked about things and you had some good questions for him you're right but he's a developer of products and he has a unique silver product and you had some good questions for him. But where I'm going with this with you, and I don't know how much you know about this of any, but take these products from nature that when dose properly heal us, how big a role does frequency play in that? Oh, it, well, it's everything because we are electrical beings. We are not, you know, even though we say we are chemicals, there's chemistry in there, but they respond to, again, the signals that are non-material once again which is why homeopathy is so brilliant. I've been lecturing around the world and teaching doctors about silver therapeutics for years as well, and that's why I had those questions uh, that I brought up. But the idea here is working with even material medicines, they do contain frequency as well. And that there is, therein lies the, 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 the reason why the, the microdosing, you've heard about microdosing, is the most beautiful thing that I've seen transpire in even the natural medicine realm, because people, you know, utilizing hallucinogenic substances from nature can go on some trips that you may never recover from that can be very intense, like, you know, taking too much of anything. And yet at the microdose level, it's having a re- rewiring the pathway, signaling 
thing. So, and it's not necessarily homeopathic officially, but it's the same concept that subtle force, right, can be so powerful and transforming. You know, the littlest thing then transforms over over the course of you know the space and time, if you will. And I think that's the beauty of the natural world. It doesn't require toxic amounts of good things to achieve the goal. But as I said, we have in the Western world a mindset we've been programmed to believe more is better, less is nothing. And what, what I've found as a homeopath is less can be more and more is toxic. So it's a different way to work because we work more efficiently with the natural resources as well. Think about how much are we doing as a, a, a people on earth rediscovering our plant medicines and pushing those yields to the point of the, the earth can't give that much and, and, and what you're getting is not as good. So the use of the resources, homeopathy is the most ideal use of resources because one plant can provide medicine for millions of people. Yes. What's that? That's staggering. Think about that. And you that. can keep growing them. That's right. So, you know, efficiency of utilization of the, of the, the gifts of, that we have, the resources we have. So we don't, we don't ever abuse that and run out. And I'm not saying we can't use herbs. I, I use herbs. But the point is we have an ability to maneuver around and through and be responsible for once instead of overusing, abusing to the point of exhaustion. And then we end up in crisis and then we're controlled through fear and, and, and lack, right? That, that, that uh, shortage is everywhere. And this is how we control behavior. It's like... <gasps> You remember in, in early COVID, toilet paper, they played this game. It, no more. Everybody, you know, it's like how quickly can you alter human behavior by saying there's not enough of this? Everybody would want, want to hoard it. And, of course, there's an abundance in this universe. And we begin to live that way. And there's some of the things that Tim, Tim James is great for saying, you know, what is a, abundance? The ability to have everything you need to do what you need to do, period, right? And, and that could be anything, but it being open to the gifts of the creation, of creation, which is unlimited, versus thinking in, in terms of a lack or, uh, you know, a deficiency of something. And we have a lot of deficiencies in our body, and that manifests disease as well. But that, that's because we're not thinking about abundance appropriately in, a, in the right way. It's all about paper money, which is another thing we talked about the other day with my, where my son is. So let's talk about this. And you're probably familiar with the work of Louise Hay, you know, where she links almost every illness to some emotional trauma. What's your belief on that? Yeah, well, the emotions are, are you know, part of what we call an emotional body. As, as well as we have this physical, tangible body, we do have an emotional body. And it, it needs to be nourished. It needs to also be allowed to come out, right? You know, the idea of my, my son went through the breath work, or many people do, crying. I was like, that's not a bad thing, you know? Manifesting emotions, you know, emotions are not bad. They're not right or wrong. They're just they're part of the human experience. And, and, and when we, you know, stuff those things in, they can then manifest physically. Well, because it's energy that's stuck. Energy that's <laughs> stuck, right. And we talked about energy as the source of all of these things. So, you know, what manifests, where attention goes, energy flows, right? And you, you have this lack of, of focus and acknowledgement and even love into an area. And that is, is a, you know, a deficiency of energy, like I had no energy as a kid, as a young adult. And I, it's scary if you go into these um, schools today, if the kid, the parents are not raising them on organic food, for instance. Right. They're falling asleep at 10 in the morning on their desk. On the prime, the prime of the prime of their life. And they have no energy. You're already starting like you're, you know, someone elderly and decrepit and degenerated. And as I said, I was the canary in the coal mine. That's why this stuff became so ingrained in my consciousness as I began to learn about the healing that we're here to, to talk about and share. And boy, oh boy, that emotional body needs to be acknowledged because most of the things that we manifest physically start there. Yeah. And, and that's, and her, that's her work. And we yeah. can go deeper into the, you know, mental, the thought form and even 
spiritual issues and all. Let's talk spiritual. What is your spiritual belief? Well, I was raised in the Jewish religion. I was bar mitzvahed and everything. And then uh, at the age of, around that time of the epiphany, let's just say that. Uh-huh. For my, for when I realized, you had two epiphanies. Yeah, well, it was, it was a spiritual awakening for yeah. me because uh, my pleas to God were for healing and God sent me, here's what you need to learn about spirit because this is how everything works. It starts there, right, at the yeah. spiritual essence of everything. So I, I found a book where it found me called Ekankar Key to Secret Worlds. And uh, there's a little book on healing uh, from, you know, it's called Ek Wisdom on Health and Healing. And it, it taught me about spiritual exercises because we, we understand the importance of exercise. But who exercises spiritually? I'm like, well, I get that. That makes sense to me, but I never heard that. Is it just praying and petitioning God for help is, or is there something more can you engage in? Can you open yourself up to the relationship to the most divine? And, of course, I remember chanting the sacred words in the Torah when I had a bar mitzvah, and so you'd sing them, and it was like, oh, a beautiful music that would come out. Now, the vibration, sound, okay, this makes sense. And they talked about utilizing sacred words, and one of the words that I learned about was Hugh, H-U, which is an ancient and sacred name for God. It doesn't belong to any one religion. In fact, when I, when my wife and I got married in 1994 at the Temple of Eck in Chanhassen, Minnesota, uh, we were handed a Bible, a Christian Bible, by the woman who married us, who did the ceremony. She was from Ghana in West Africa. And in the, it was written in Fanti, the native language there. But in it, it talked about the lost word, and it was Hugh in a Christian Bible. So I'm just saying, no matter what religion you are, this is not about converting you to anything. It's about sharing a a vibration, a sound that you can use. Everybody has heard of the ohm. The ohm tends to be a mental plane, ultimately. It kind of hits that mental plane. The hue breaks through to that direct spiritual connection to the, the source of all of this. So we sing hue, and we can do that in a daily exercise. That's where I learned about it, Ekankar, yeah. And so when you say Ekankar, is that a religion, a philosophy? or what It's known is it? as the path of spiritual freedom. And for me, it was important because I'm all about freedom. This was, I came in with this idea. And my mom, she's from Israel. She's freedom, right? And, and so it matched my state of consciousness. This is what I say about this. No matter what religion or what medicine you're using, it's there because it meets your state of consciousness. And I think that's the beauty of God. Meets us wherever we are with whatever we need. That's why I don't want to eliminate allopathic medicine. Some people need it. But the idea here of the hue, it opened me up to experiences that I was not satisfied with because there was no explanation for the questions I had. So I went to rabbis, I went to priests, I went to you know imams. I went, tell me about this. And I, get, I annoyed them all. And they finally, <laughs> and they finally said, you know what? Sometimes you're just going to have to wait to die to know the answer to that question. I'm like, there you go. I, don't, I don't do well with that. So, so what, with the hue, I was able to have experiences of direct contact. You know, I, I, I didn't mention, you know, I was in sixth grade as a, as a young child, you know, kid. I... I died and came back. I had a near-death experience. And so I already knew that I wasn't this physical body. I had that, but I had no framework necessarily, you know, other than... So we're going to run out of time, but I can't let you say that and not have a follow-up question. Okay. So, so when you were dead, did you have an out-of-body experience? And what was it like? I ended up in a place not unlike this. I mean, it was a beautiful, uh, you know, mountainous region, uh, meadow. Uh, it was so vivid. The colors were more vivid than our colors we see with right, our own eyes. Right, right. The smells were there. The, the, the nature was there. I could feel and see. I could feel the warmth of the sun. And then the next thing I knew, boom, I was hitting back in my body. 
Uh, and then years later, but you weren't given a choice to either. No, keep it go. wasn't. Okay. You know, okay. it was more like, dude, you're here and you're now you're back. You got the experience. I'm going to wet your appetite. And then years later, I was at an Ekinkar conference and somebody had a painting that they did. And my, my daughter's a beautiful artist. She's drawing things about the nature here too. You're going to love, but this picture, this painting, I saw it. That's where I was. Like somebody else saw it too. I, you know, years later, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So the connections are really divinely inspired. And the moment we need to see them, if we're open, it's there for us. So whether it doesn't, you don't have to be part of Ekinkar to do this. Just sing Hugh. Try well, I want to check it. Daily, it you know, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do as yeah. soon as we're done here. Mm -hmm. And for you people at home, 50 feet from here is a Temescal. We can do which, that in there. Oh, yes. That would be amazing. And because I do ohms in there. Yeah. And now I can do the Hugh. Hugh. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to doing that because I believe that it's all energy vibrating a certain frequency and sound is the most powerful. And when we realize that and we get ourselves vibrating at that high frequency and we open our pineal gland and we get that vibrating, we are, we are in constant contact with source. And, and then we are at peace. And this is the sound behind all sounds. You're going to just enjoy I can't wait. I can't wait to Open do you it. up to divine Okay, I got to ask you a couple more questions. Sure. We're going to run out of time. But, <laughs> but so I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer these. And, and if you don't get the three, that's okay. And if you don't have any, that's okay. Three biggest regrets in life. Ooh, biggest regrets. Well, you, you went right to the hardest ones, right? Because I, I look back at my life and, and I, I find that, uh, you know, it may be, you know, not having more conversations with your dad before he died, right? Because my dad died after kidney failure. He was on hemodialysis. But and, he, and my grandpa died horribly in a hospital, too. It's interesting that those things impacted. And now you so, do this. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I did enjoy the time I had with both of them as, you know, impacts in my life. But, you know, how do you say regret? You'd like more time. But, I, honestly, I don't look back and with regret. So there's regret. nothing you would change? Yeah, I, I, everything was You're just good. in order how it happened needed to happen. Three greatest accomplishments. Oh my gosh. Well, um, you know, I'd have to say my kids, but I mean, how is that an accomplishment? Although some people it is said, an accomplishment. They, yeah, it I is know. An, but no, but raising them. Well, that's to the, where, that was okay. the point that just came up because <laughs> was it, was it, uh, the other Tim that was here, he said, Hey, can I, can I, if I have kids, can I rent you out as a dad? I thought that was funny, but you know, I would say that's an accomplishment because I wanted to instill in them the spiritual freedom that means so much to me. That is, I'm not here to tell them what their journey is. I'm here to steward them as young people to, to, to stay connected so that they can be guided. And for me, that is the greatest accomplishment. Uh, but that's still an ongoing thing. Well, and I would also say staying married to their mom all these years is an accomplishment, right? Especially in this world of divorce 50 years. Oh, yeah. And she's been through a lot. And, let, and we, I'll give you one or two minutes to... You mentioned your wife's illness. What, what's going on there? She had uh, dental extractions over 12 years ago that went wrong and it damaged the trigeminal nerve. And uh, her sensitivity was such she went into severe pain. And we tried even the narcotics, which we're not into, and it, it didn't help. And so for years and years, trying so many things, and nothing has solved the actual pain, even though there's no explanation for why the pain is there because there's no injury and inflammation anymore. So it might be entrained in the brain. So we've been doing so much uh, plant medicine, cannabis, uh, kratom. It's helped. I mean, she's alive still. So the I pain is still there. Still though. there. And Constant. she has to, that's why. I, you know, I wanted so much for her to be here with me, and she's well because we have we brought a dentist up here today. Yep. We examined because the mouth is so important. Exactly, yes. You know, and, so and and she's just like I can't do the journey, I, and and I'm just you know maybe this can happen now that we'll she knows what's here. I'd so, love for her to yeah. come back anytime. Okay, yeah. and and we will. We there's many many doc, uh, dentists here that are very good, and quickly because um, you are uh, eat really clean and good. 
And I'm, I'm assuming, is it plant-based? You say organic, but does that yeah. include well, plant-based? I or? will tell you my transition. When I first started, it was all plant-based because my body was so wrecked. I couldn't digest anything. Yeah. If I wanted meat, I couldn't break it down. I was in horrible shape. And then there were times where I transitioned and you know, learned to listen to my body, what it was communicating with me. So that there are times where my body will say, you need some animal protein. Yeah. And, and I'm not... You know, in a philosophical way, I know there are vegans that are philosophically, but right. but for me as a homeopath, I can't, I don't have the luxury of being yeah. religious dogma about something. Right. Right. I have to meet the needs of the people, and, right. and there are people that have cancer that if they go on a raw vegan diet, they will die, right. and there are those that will live only if they do that. Right. And and that's you know, doctor. It's so individual, and yes. they want to do the same treatment. For a one size fits all. Doctor Nicholas Gonzalez was one of my greatest friends in this lifetime. He was a hero to me, and became a friend and. He was one of the doctors that mysteriously died, and he was curing pancreatic cancer with no chemo, no radiation, no surgery. And, of course, what does that bring? Uh, and, and he was all about what do we need to do to meet the needs of the individual, and each individual might be different. And, and so, I, again, as a healer, I can't be dogmatic about it has to be this way or this way. Organic, yes. The clean is yes. not a you argument. Don't, you don't want... That's where you start. You don't want poison. Right, and that's easy to start there. I, yeah. I'll tell you my experience real quick, and then I want to ask you how... how, how how you've enjoyed the food or not enjoyed the food. But so for me, you know, I'm not a big eater to begin with. I'm not like a foodie, right? But, but you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest in America, right? And so that's steak and yeah, potatoes, yeah, yeah. right? And so, but I'm embracing this and I hated it at first, to be honest, okay? And, but now I've changed my whole perspective of food. Food is not to be pleasurable. See, everybody thinks food is to be pleasurable. And now I'm saying, no, food is medicine. As Hippocrates said, let your food be your medicine, your medicine be your food. And so now I just eat those sprouts and not worry about it because, because I'm going to create pleasure by having a healthy, strong body. Let's take this body and go have that pleasure instead of a pleasure of an In-N-Out burger and a Coke and right. a malt, you, right? You've raised a deep, very deep, deep issue. It's yeah. one of the most difficult things to discuss and more so than talking religion or politics. Right, right. You talk diet. Oh, oh, you, you, oh you'll piss people off like there's no tomorrow. My wife's one of them. <laughs> to your point, yes. Uh, we have substituted the pleasures of the flesh yes. for the essence of the energy flowing through us that gives us that ecstasy, yes. ecstasis, which is to be with God. Yes. And, and yet we have a physical body. We've been given this opportunity like a school ground to learn. It's here for us to indulge in and abuse and then figure it out. I believe lifetime after lifetime, right? And I know a lot of people don't, but that's okay. You know, that's the idea is like one shot and out. I don't think that would be a no, fair, exactly. fair deal. That wouldn't be fair at all. But the idea is to come to these conclusions of our own accord, not by force or fear or fraud or deception. And, and that is only through experience. And your experience is impacting the lives of others and your willingness to share it with a good heart. You know, I don't, you know, when I met you, I was like the energy, my, my wife watched you on her interview and said, wow, what a good man. You know, you can feel you've been through a lot to get here. I wasn't always this way, you know, look, I have emotions. Sometimes I can still be angry about the world and what's happening. And then I got to, got to step back and go like, that's not going to serve me in the big scheme. I, I want to get beyond that to show people there's a purpose for all of this. And we also have a choice that we can make to go beyond it, even while we're here. Okay. We got a minute left. And I want people to know how to watch your show and find you. And I want to say that I had the honor of being interviewed by Robert Scott Bell. I've also had the honor of being 
interviewed by Larry King. Wow. And I would say you're right in his league. Very God, nice of you. God rest his soul. What an interviewer. So, so where can people find you, hear you, and all that? Just come to my website, robertscottbell.com. It's just my name, robertscottbell.com. You can find all the different areas and places we can. you can hear me or see me live on the website or elsewhere, Rumble and stuff, and podcasts that I'm not banned on. There are some. And uh, I'm on two hours a day, five days a week, uh, three to five Eastern normally, and uh, Sundays, one to two Eastern. And that's a spiritual conversation, my Sunday conversations. And uh, it's just, it's a whole lot of different topics. It's not just health, but it's the health of everything. And great guests, and sometimes it's just me letting loose. And having guests like you, Mike, which is inspiring to me, makes my heart happy that we're on the same planet together at this time. So I'm grateful for this. Likewise, Robert. Yeah. I'm grateful for you, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this. There's a lot of great nuggets in this that could help a lot of people. So I ask if you something that you heard that resonated with you and you know somebody you think it can help, just share it, okay? Do something. Get out of yourself. Do something for someone else. And until next week, go out there, live your life with passion, and manifest the life of your dreams. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and supporting me in bringing my message of hope, health, and abundance to as many people as possible. Will you please like, subscribe, and share this podcast episode, and I hope one day to meet you at Mountains of Hope, a place for deep healing and transformation.